We're looking forward to 2019 as we take this new theme and own it. Um, that's pretty cool. Blanket over here. Guys keeping everybody warm. You had a cold weekend in North Webster, didn't you? You're still feeling chilly, aren't you? We're glad you're here. No, you're warm today. Our teens just got back from a Collide uh, retreat. We're glad to have you right up front with them. I'm here for our teens this morning. All right. We're kicking off a new theme. It's Lace Them Up. Some of you probably think we look like the Hickory Huskers, and uh, some of you know what I'm talking about there. Excited about this theme. We're excited to see what God can do with it. However, we're hoping that it's just not a bunch of vain words that are given, and it goes up on the wall in our hallways, and you take pictures home of some leadership team, and you get the cool sticker and put it on your vehicle, but we don't live it out. Imagine what could happen if we all linked arms together, and we believe in the power and authority of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and God himself that we together could advance the kingdom of Jesus and make a difference by lacing up our shoes every day. Paul in the New Testament gives many analogies. The author of Hebrews gives an analogy of a race. That all of us are in a race. We're supposed to run this race to win the prize. And there's this picture in scripture that we should prepare for this race. When I was 47 years old, 10 years ago, I had a goal in mind to run my first marathon. So I waited late in life. I put in tons of miles up to that point, and by God's grace, have been able to run. And so I did what every runner does, and many of you have run races. Glenn, you've run a lot of races too, and you've, you've run races, and, and, and so you prepare for it. And so you have to put the miles in so that on race day, you can give your best. I had a coach in high school that always told me, they said, Jim, you need to put miles in the silo. There needs to be miles in the silo that you can go back to and reserve. So when you're weak and down, they're there. You can tap into them. It's the same way with Scripture. Put Scripture in the silo. So hide the word in his heart so that you don't, in your heart so you don't sin against him. So there's this picture that we had to train. So I went on this journey, signed up for the Cleveland Marathon, and began training for it. Did what most people would do. I put a training plan in place, checked out Hal Higdon. He had a 17-week race plan. And so for 17 weeks, you back up to race day. I scheduled a spring marathon. So if you're smart, like I wasn't, that puts you right in the heart of the winter when you train. So all winter long, I was looking at the, the map to see in which way the wind was blowing so that I didn't run into a north wind or a west wind. And I would chart out my races. And, and so I put out Gatorades along the way. I put water along the way. And so I had this plan in motion that I would prepare for this 26-mile race. I did all that I was supposed to do. And I was, my goal was to run a four-hour marathon. And in my training time, 345, no problem. I was able to run it. And so if you've ever trained for a marathon, as you get closer to, to race day, the weekends, the Saturdays, you're running 20 miles on the weekend. It's just not go out and run a little bit, but you go out and block out time for that. So as I prepared for this race, I was ready. I ran as a sponsor for Asia's Hope, our children that we've rescued in, in Cambodia and Thailand. So I had a shirt, and I grabbed some other people, and we met in Cleveland, other churches running for Asia's Hope. My family went along with me, and we went to Cleveland. Got up that morning excited. I was prepared. My lungs were strong. I had put the miles in, did all the training, ready to run this race. Went to the buffet line trying to think, what should I eat that won't go through me quickly so I don't have to stop along the way? You're thinking about all those things. I decided I would run with a pace runner. When you run in a marathon, there are people who hold up signs. If you want to run a four-hour marathon, you run with them. So this person runs half the race. They switch off at half a marathon, bring someone else in, and they hold this sign that says four-hour marathon pace. So you run with them. You just run alongside of them. I kept telling myself, if that dude can run holding a sign, then I can run without holding a sign. He inspired me the whole way. As I'm running, things are good. My, my lungs are strong. I, I was taking Gatorade. I was taking the gels, drinking water. And, and about seven miles in, this guy was running. He ended up running with a pack of people. There were hundreds of people I was running with. And there was a guy who was in our pack, and he was complaining the whole way. How hard? I ain't, I'm not going to finish. I don't know if I can make it. I just shook him off and got out of the way. Get behind me, Satan. Got out ahead of him. That poison, man, just toxin in that group, man. It's, you ever have one of those people? All they speak, I'm not going to get behind me. So we're running. As I'm running this race, 10 miles, good. 
11, good. 12, 13, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Good, good, good. Lungs are strong, man. And our, our pace setter said we should be done at three hours and 50 minutes. I was like, woo, can't wait to finish. 20 mile mark, good. 20 mile, one mile mark, good. 22 mile mark, good. 23 mile mark, cruising, man, cruising. 24 mile, oh, what just happened? All of a sudden, my body just began to cramp up. I'm telling you, calves, quads, buttocks, fingers, arms, jaws, everything locked up on me. Out of nowhere, I got hit with these cramps. And I told you, I tried to put salt in me. I tried to gobble down Gatorade. I tried to take water. I tried everything that my mind could think. And at 24 miles, I found myself thinking these thoughts that were coming through my mind. I don't know if you can finish. You might not make it. So I had to speak back into that. Speak truth, and I'm going to finish. It's a race. I'm going to mark out. And then I had to adjust. And so as I began to run, I kid you not, I had to change my gait. And so I was looking for places and ways I could run. And at 25 miles, I was running on the outsides of my heels. I'm not exaggerating a bit. Running this way, trying. I wasn't going to quit. The race was marked out. The finish line was going to, I'm going to finish this. At that point, I realized that that the four-hour mark wasn't within grass. 25 miles, I labored to 25 miles, running probably 10 to 11-minute pace, just dying on the vine. And got to the 26-mile mark and trying to run on the insides of my feet, trying to run on the toes of my feet, trying to find a spot that I wasn't cramping up. You've never been there. My body was just shutting down completely. But something happened at that 26-mile mark. As I was running and I knew that my wife and our children were down there. I could see the finish line. I could see it. Like, there it was. And my body was saying, you're not going to make it. But my head was saying, there it is. And so I went into what was the, the ugliest sprint you've ever seen in humankind. I kid you not, it was <laughs> getting across that finish line. <laughs> And as I'm almost to the finish line, people are buzzing by me, running past me, getting around me. I could see my wife along the end, and there were my children. She was saying, Jim. She was like, what is going on, Jim? <laughs> what is going on? But when I crossed that line, I ran the race. I fought the good fight. I handled the obstacles, the adversity had come. And I walked around cramped up and couldn't stand straight for an hour. Why? Because something hit me out of nowhere. But something inside of me kept saying, Jim, finish the race. Finish the race that's been marked out for you. Fight the good fight. Don't bail out. Needless to say, I never hit my mark. Four hours and three minutes, and the last two and a half miles were brutal agony. But I finished the race. I finished my race. Today, you're going to see in Scripture that you have a race that's been marked out for you. And all God is asking you to do is fight and to finish and to stay in your lane and lace your shoes up day after day. Why do I say that? Because the person you're being today is the person you're becoming tomorrow. So be today who you want to become tomorrow. Let me ask you a question. How's that version of yourself working? The person that got out of bed this morning at your house, the person that drove to Grace Community, the person that had conversation with his kids, mom, dads, friends, the person that you were up to this morning, the person who stood in worship and gave his all or didn't give his all. That person is the person you're becoming tomorrow. What kind of person are you becoming? Oh, I'm tired. I can't give no more. So I bail out. There is nowhere in this race that God has said, bail out. He said, plow through, fight the good fight. Because the person that is lacing up their shoes today and being that person is the person they're becoming tomorrow. Who are you becoming tomorrow? Grab your Bibles. We're going to find out how we can become the people that God wants us to be and turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Turn there. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers would be glad to put one in your hand or open up your mobile device. Let's just see what this 
race analogy has to say and what, what the author of Hebrews said to us and what Paul said to us in the New Testament also. Stand with me as we read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Let's read this out loud. Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3. Read it with me, please. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You may have a seat. The race will be hard. When we got to the end of the race, this marathon, they grab this medal and they place it around your neck. I hang this in my office as a reminder that it was a hard day and the race was difficult and challenging. But every person that finished that race was given a medal, not because they participated, but because they finished the race. The race will be hard. In fact, the author here reminds us to put off anything that gets in our way, and even the sin that entangles us, and often it begins in our minds. Even for me, as I was running that, that marathon, there were all kinds of voices that were coming after me, darts coming after my mind, trying to de- derail me. And often the very thing that derails us and gets us off out of our lane is lies from the enemy, and it goes something like this, I can't do this. My best days are behind me. You don't have what it takes. The glory days will never come again. It's important here to look at this phrase that's used here in Hebrews chapter 12. He says, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Sometimes in the Greek, there's a word that sounds like an English word. And here the word race has the idea in with perseverance, has the idea of the Greek word agophron, which means agony. So literally it's saying, run the agony that's out in front of you. Get out and run it every day. It won't be easy. Run the agony. So today when you got up and you laced up your shoes, there should be this posture of readiness, this posture of preparedness, but also this mindset that says, I'm about to run the agony today, but I'm gonna run in such a way that I will finish the race and fight the good fight. What's the word perseverance mean? How can you persevere at something? Here's one way to describe the word persevere. It means to have a resolve, a tenacity, a persistence, a dogged, determined passion of holding on. Every time I see a tree that a beaver has chewed down, I think, man, they're persistent. Man, they have a dogged determination. To think that a beaver can take his teeth and literally whittle down and cut a tree that often my chainsaw blade can't cut. It's this dogged, determined, holding on, persevering spirit. And so the author of Hebrews says, run the race in such a way that you have a persevering spirit. Lay aside the distractions by keeping your eyes focused on Jesus, not something else. Otherwise, you will get tripped up. If Jesus is not in it, then don't do it. And also this regarding our race. Run your race, not someone else's race. I want you to do something right now. Turn to the person beside you and I want you to say, can we put that phrase back up there? Say that to him. Run your race, not someone else's race. Turn to someone. Both sides, both sides. God has a race For each one of us, it's an individual race that he has in place before the foundation of the world. He's charted out our steps. He's laid a path. He has a plan. And we're supposed to line up with his spirit. And he has a race for us to race. You don't run my race. I don't run your race. Nor do you have to run my race. We don't have to be like someone else. We just have to be all that God wanted us to be. God has a lane for you. He's blazed out the path. Focus on the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. However, here's what happens. We start running this thing called life. And we start looking at her, looking at him, looking how they do it. 
wow, they're catching up. Look what they're doing. And before we know it, we're more concerned by looking back and watching someone else and trying to be like someone else that we get tripped up. And the author is telling us, run your race. Don't let anything beside you, around you, hinder you or knock you off of your lane. Why do we do that? Because we're always comparing ourselves to other people. It's very normal for a human being to compare. I'm as guilty as you are many times. Wow, I wish I could preach like Andy Stanley. Wow, I wish I was an evangelist like Greg Lard. Wow, I wish I could write that book. Wow, I wish I could do this. And wow, I wish I could reach the millions of people. Wow. And if we're not careful, we find ourselves comparing ourselves and looking back in this race. And what happens is we spin our tracks and we lose traction and we lose forward movement because we're trying to be like people around us instead of being who God called us to be and run our lane and our race and finish our race and get to the finish line. It's not new. This isn't a new problem that all of a sudden it just occurred in 2000. It even occurred with some of our Bible writers. Wow, Pastor Jim, you mean people who live with Jesus, they actually compared themselves to and they were competitive and they they were worried about what other people were doing? Absolutely. In fact, I personally believe that Peter and John didn't like each other very much. I believe that they were always trying to one-up each other. Who can set to the right? Who can set to the left? And and so John, now think about this. John, carried by the Holy Spirit, in other words, the Holy Spirit moved him over here and said, right. Moved him over here and said, right. God let the personalities of the authors come through. Inspired by the Spirit, the Bible was written. Watch how John writes about himself in John chapter 20. Look how he begins to look back. Look how he begins to compare himself to Peter. Look at John chapter 20. We got to be careful. Otherwise, we'll lose traction for forward movement. Look at John chapter 20. Please turn there. Don't look at your neighbor's Bible. Look at your own. Open up your own mobile device and look at John chapter 20. Look at verse 1. Early, this is John writing, on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone that had been removed from the entrance. This is John writing. So she came what to Simon Peter? What's it say? Running. And the what? Who's he say? The other disciple. Just pause right there. Who in the world talks about themselves in third person? John does. And the other disciple. Like, the other disciple. Read on. Look look what he says. And the other disciple, the one that Jesus what? Come on, pat me on the back. The other disciple, by the way, just in case you didn't know, he's the one that Jesus loved. This is John writing this, by the way. Look what happens next. And said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. John writing, keep in mind, John's writing, he writes about Peter. So Peter and the what? What's he say? The other disciple started for the tomb. They both were what? Okay, picture this, picture this. Come on, let's get the race analogy. I just picture them, John and Peter. Ready to go? Let's go. It's on right now. Picture them. They're taking off to the tomb. They're human beings, by the way. Sometimes we over-spiritualize these people. They're like, I'm going to beat you to the tomb. And John says, look, look what he says. Look again. He says, both were running. This is John writing. But, look what he says, the other disciple did what to Peter? (laughs) He didn't have to put that in there, did he? It's like, bam, in your face, big boy. He says, outran the other disciple and reached the tomb what? Can you picture him? Come on, he's a human being. I would never do that, by the way. (laughs) Verse 5. Sometimes just read Scripture. It's beautiful. See the personalities. He bent over and looked into the strips lying there, but did not go in. Then, John writes, Simon Peter came along what? (laughs) Like, are you finally here? And went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Then he says this, look what he says. Finally, the other disciple who reached the tomb first, by the way, first, 
also went inside. He saw and what? Believed. Parentheses. However, look what it says. They still didn't understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. One, two, three times. What's John say? Number one, number one. First, 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 first. I beat you, I beat you. <laughs> I got there first. Pass it on, move it on down the road. They have this miraculous catch of fish on the shore after the resurrection. John and Peter and the disciples are gathered again. It doesn't stop there. So Jesus has this conversation telling them in verse 5. Look at 21, verse 5. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Look at verse 7, John writing. Then the disciple whom Jesus, what? (laughs) There he is again. Said to Peter, it is the Lord. Like, I knew it before you did. (laughs) Don't you know why? That's just the Lord doing that. Now fast forward. Jesus is having a one-on-one conversation with Peter. Peter denies Christ three times before the cross. I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him. Jesus is finally going to restore him. And so he restores him three times. John's writing this story. Look at verse 21, verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon said to John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, yes, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said what? Feed my what? Verse 16. Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, yes. You know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my what? The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was what? What's it say? Because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Remember, this is John writing. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Verily, truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. John's still writing and he says that Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death which Peter will glorify God. And then he said to him, follow him. Okay, now listen. Watch what happens. Verse 20. After having this conversation, calling him out, restoring him, reminding him, repenting, forgiveness. Verse 20. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom what? Jesus loved was following them. This, look, look, look here. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray? Like, remember, remember, remember I'm, I'm the one that leaned on Jesus. And then he says this. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about who? Come on. It's like, hey, you drilled me. Hey, you called out my sin. What about him? What about the one that you love? Can you see this competition? Can you see he's comparing? I hear two men of God who had lost some traction in this race because all they were doing was comparing themselves to one another. Listen to me. And we do it too. And when we begin to do it, we lose traction in this race. You see, looking back will trip you up. And part of the problem is that we keep searching for approval from man. If I can do it better, or I'm smarter or smartest, I have won the race. No, you haven't. Their race is not your race. You see, quit trying to measure up to someone else. Too many people are searching for that thing, that feeling, that accomplishment, that pat on the back, that status, that bank account, that relationship that is better, bigger, smarter, faster than someone else. You will never fill someone else's shoes, nor do you need to. Let me explain. In our house, we have a pantry that has a lot of shoes in it. And so we go to this place and we put on our shoes. This is some of the shoes. And I realized someone today, you have a lot of Adidas. And so it's real easy for me because we live in this world that says, or we try to, to fill someone else's shoes. I see these shoes right here. And when I look at these shoes, I'm moved pretty deeply. (laughs) They're Anne's, my wife, my bride. And man, do I love her. And there are many times I want to be like her. She's an incredible mom. She, she loves God with all her heart. 
She points people to Jesus. And if I'm really honest, there's times I wish I could be like Ann. Because she knows how to live this faith walk. And she knows how to run this race in a way that, if I'm not careful, I'm envious of. She won't walk into the room, and sometimes when she walks in the room, you don't even know she entered, but you remember when she left because her presence is still there. I love my wife, and I love the way she runs her race. But if I walked into the the pantry, and I tried to put her shoes on, like, so that I can be like her, the truth is, I can't, because she wears a woman's eight, and I wear 11. You see, her race is different than my race. And when I stand before God one day, I won't be judged for her race. I'll be judged to see what I've done for him in my race. In the same place, there's these boots that mean a lot to me. I've shared before, they're my dad's. And I can't tell you how many times I've thought this thought, boy, I don't know if I'll ever be able to fill his boots and fill his shoes. You know, the things that he's done, his generosity and love and care, and the way he's lived his life. And I find myself thinking, man, I wish I could be like him. But the truth is, I can't. Nor was I called to be like him. And so the truth is, I go out into the garage where these boots are at and if I try to run my dad's race and I put on his shoes and try to fill his shoes, then something is wrong with this picture. I can't be Ann and I can't be my dad. His race was different than my race. My wife's race is different than my race. And God has called them to run a race. In fact, if I tried to run in these, I would soon fall because I keep trying to be like him or keep trying to be like her instead of running my race and lacing up my shoes and running the path that's been marked out for me. Probably if we're really honest, teens, let me just speak to you. You see, I was a teenager once too. I know it's hard to believe. I'm 57. But there was a time when I went into my high school, a public high school, many, many, many years ago, 40 plus years ago, and I was 4'11 and a half and weighed 95 pounds as a freshman. Just a tiny little guy. And so I decided that I would go out for a basketball team. And my freshman team, they had 50 cuts. They cut 50 people. So I went out for this team and competed and made the team. And and to be quite honest with you, I started at point guard in a big high school at 4'11", 95 pounds. But something happened to me that freshman year. My first week in school, when I walked there, we had all the junior high schools come together. Word got on the street that Jimmy Brown was a Christian. And to be honest with you, I only knew five Christians in my high school. And three of them were my sisters. (laughs) My first week of school was really hard because, unbeknownst to me, people were sticking stickers and papers on my back that says, kick me, I'm gay. They were trying to break my will because they had heard that I was a Christian. Week after week it went by, stickers, names. It wasn't uncommon for me even to to go to my locker and to have Playboy pictures and penthouse pictures and hustler pictures on my locker, and I would open it up, and I could see him down the hallways just laughing, and I'd just grab him, throw him away. They were trying to break my will. They were trying to get me out of my lane. They were trying to knock me off the course. But praise God for his power, because I was willing to stand when no one else would stand for Jesus. And by the time I was a sophomore in high school, you know what I was doing before basketball games? They asked me to pray. So listen to me. You don't have to be like someone else. 
You don't have to fit and fill the shoes of someone else. Moms and dads and husbands and wives and singles and single agains and single moms and single dads. You don't have to try to be like someone else. Just be you and run your race and not someone else's race. See, it's real easy. Even like Peter and John. John's saying, I'm first. <laughs> Look at me. And Peter looking back, what about him? Once you get into the comparison game, the author of Hebrews says, you need to throw that stuff off. And don't let it hinder your race. You see, you will never be all that God wants you to be if you keep looking back over your shoulder. Be the you you need to be, not someone else. You see, you were not created to be satisfied by someone or something on earth, but by someone in heaven, and his name is Jesus. You don't have to win the applause of man. I don't have to be like Louis Giglio. I don't have to be like Andy Stanley. I just need to be Jim Brown, honest, transparent, using my gifts, running my race. I don't need to be like my dad. I don't need to be like my wife. I don't need to be like you, and nor do you need to be like me. Just be you and run your race. Paul addresses this, and he said, be careful, because sometimes when you run this race, someone tries to knock you off the course, and sometimes it's comparison, and sometimes it's sin, and Look at Galatians chapter 5. Look what happens in Galatians chapter 5. Paul talks about this race. Please turn to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 7. Look what Paul says. Galatians 5 and verse 7. In reference to the race that's marked out before us, he says this. Galatians 5 verse 7, he says, you were what? What's he say? Running a good what? Wow. You were running a good race. Who did what? What's the word? Cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth. That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. He says, in other words, you were running. You were doing what God wanted you to do. You weren't distracted by, by everyone else and comparing. They got a better boyfriend. They got a cuter girlfriend. They're smarter than me. They got the first chair in music. Their kids are all saved. Listen, they've never been divorced. I'll never be like them. Look at the boat that they have. They got three houses. Their IRA and 401, they're set up for life. Listen, don't let that stuff keep you out of your lane. Run your race. So Paul said, who cut in on you? See, we have to be careful because out of nowhere, the enemy, you know what he tries to do? Cut in. Whew. Hey, look at her. She's cute, isn't she? And you're married. No, don't look there. Hey, look at him. He's got it together. He really protects and provides for his wife. Don't you want a husband like that? Don't look. Hey. I can offer you this if you do this. Your parents will never know. No. Cut it off. Don't let it cut in on you. Because the moment you let and believe that you have to be like someone else other than Jesus, listen, you will be miserable in 2019. Amen? This year, some cross-country runners in America were running. And something happened during the race that cut in on them and blindsided this runner and knocked him out of the race. Watch this. Check out this moment. A college athlete is hit by a deer. This was no ordinary race for college senior Justin Deluzio. I've done it many times before. Um, unfortunately, I've never done it after being hit by an animal like that. Not only did a herd of deer run across the field during the race, one ran right into Justin, knocking him off his feet. <laughs> I kind of sat there in disbelief, really. Not so much in pain, but more so just in disbelief of what had actually happened. <laughs> Watch out for the deer! 
Justin heard a spectator warn the runners, but... Unfortunately, it wasn't enough time to, you know, make a move, move out of the way or do much, but I, I did get a good glimpse of his face, and uh, I, I was fully aware that a deer did just hit me afterwards. He says the deer stumbled away after, but made a full recovery. Justin, on the other hand, was helped by a teammate, who was right behind him and did end up crossing the finish line. He was a big motivation in allowing me to finish, really. I guess I didn't do much damage to him either. So what exactly does getting hit by a deer feel like? It's like getting hit by like an NFL linebacker or an NFL safety. Ooh, it came in fast, let's put it that way. The truth is, sometimes that's how it is with us. What about him? I like to be like her. Boy, I wish I could fill their shoes. Wow, they're catching up. They got better grades. I need to do extra credit. Wow, I'll never amount to anything because I'm single again and divorced. And Wow, what happened? Boom. Who cut you off? You were running a good race. Get back up in your lane and fight the good fight and finish the course even if at mile 24 something hits you that could knock you down. You see, another like, another follower, another retweet, another Snapchat with flowers on your head will never make you more than what Jesus can make you alone with him. You see, the author in the message said this in regards to Hebrews 12, and he translated it this way. Just listen. So as you are running, look ahead. Do you see what that means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we better get on with it, strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished the race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Fight like Jesus fight. Keep your eyes focused on him. You see, the moment you become obsessed with any other one than Jesus is the moment you lose your way. You see, I know this to be true because I live in your world and, and from time to time I battle this. God didn't call us to be important, but he called us to be faithful. Do you hear me? But when we are faithful, we do important things for God. And by the way, faithfulness is not always played out the way that we think it is. But win the race. Like, run your race. You see, part of the problem is we don't know what our win is. What's your win? What's it mean for you to win your race? Not, not your husband, not your wife, not, not, your, not your child, you. What's it mean for you to win your race? You must know your win. So how do you figure out what your win is? You gotta be asking these questions as an adult, as a high school student, as a junior. You gotta be asking because if we don't know what we're in it for and what, how it plays out, then we'll never get the win. So you ask yourself these questions. What lights your fire? Seriously, honestly, I want you to answer that question. What lights your fire? When you walk away from it, what lights your fire? When do you feel most satisfied in Jesus? What is that thing that causes you to feel most satisfied? What makes your heart race after you've done it? How are you inspired? What's your win? By the way, you know how the answers sometimes come? 
it sometimes comes by us going back and revisiting those moments in our faith journey where we answered those questions. That was it. See, I often wonder this. I wonder how many times Peter was in a spiritual slump. By the way, there was times he was in a spiritual slump. He was a human being. I often wondered if he got back in the boat and he rode back out in that lake. And he rode to that spot. That very spot where he walked on water. I wonder if he ever had to go back there and say, there was a time in my life where I stepped out and I was a water walker and there has never been a water walker outside of Jesus than me. You see, sometimes we got to go back and remind ourselves of those moments in our life where, where we did what God wanted us to. I've often wondered this. I wondered many times, did Paul, in a, a time of feeling overwhelmed, even to the point of death, he writes, I wonder if he ever, he says, hey, let's take a ride to Damascus. Let's go back to the Damascus road. I often wonder, did he get on his camel and ride back to Damascus? Did he get to that spot where he says, listen, listen, and he had some friends, by the way, he said, there was a time, like right here, here's the, here's the line. I was Saul here, but I became Paul there. You see, sometimes we got to go back, and we got to remind ourselves there were moments in our lives where we took a leap of faith, and, and God ministered in the power. I've often wondered, Zacchaeus, like, I wonder, as he had grew up and, and, or got married and had kids, and I wonder if he ever went back to his place and said, Billy, let's go. Where are we going, Dad? Just, just come. Rebecca, let's go. Well, where are we going, Dad? Just come. And, and they worked their way back, and he took them to that tree, and he says, now, now, Billy, I want you to climb that tree. Dad, why do I got to climb a tree? Just climb. And Rebecca says, you climbed it. No, Dad, get up there. And as they're holding on this tree, he says, let me tell you a story. Did I ever tell you the story about the time when I climbed a tree, and, and I wanted to see Jesus? And Jesus looked up here, and I followed him and I paid back all the people I stole money there was a time see sometimes we got to go back to those moments to remind us that that God has purpose in our lives a few years back it was a hard season in ministry as it is in everyone's life Ann and I were doing fine it was just ministry was hard and it was just it was a hard season and we were back home and I and collectively I said honey let's go back to the church where we were called out of Let's go back and let's remember our calling because God hasn't called us elsewhere and he hasn't called us to stop. So we went back to this church. It was Sunday night and this church has diminished. There's like 12 members in it now. And, and so we knocked on the front door of the church on a Sunday night and I thought, man, there's no one here. And finally this guy opens it up and he looks at me and he says, I said, hey, I'm Jim Brown and I used to go to church here. He looked at me. I said, can we just kind of walk through the church? I said, we just, I said, we just want to come back and remember. He said, come on in. So we walked in. And I said, can we go back to the back? There's this, I said, I, we, we had this thing called the Teen Center 30 years ago. and was out of there that God called me to ministry. And so we walked back. He's flipping on lights, and the floors are squeaking. No one's in there, and they never use it. And there's cobwebs and spiders. And I said, can, can, can we go downstairs? He said, that place is a mess. I said, I just got to go back. I got to go back. And Ann and I walked down the steps, and we walked into this room. We had painted the walls, Ann and I. We spent a Friday night putting stripes on the wall because I was teaching kids how to play basketball. And we saw hundreds of kids come to Christ. And, and we just stood in there, and we held hands. I said, this is, this is the place, baby. This is where God called us. We just had to remember. We had to remind ourselves. And then I said, we got to walk up to the Sunday school room that Mabel Huff led me to Jesus. And I said, by the way, I even went here when I was a little kid. I said, can I walk upstairs in that Sunday school classroom? And he says, it's dirty. I said, I need to go. I said, I just got to go there. I need to remember. So we walked back these steps and half the lights didn't work. And I stood in this room, green walls. It stank. It was musty and mold on the walls. And and I pulled out my flashlight because the lights didn't work. And I just held my hand. And I said, this is the place, baby. This is the place that Jesus saved my soul. This is where he rescued me from a single parent family. This is where he brought hope to my mom and to me. This is where it all began. 
Sometimes we just need to do that even for us. And recently, Ann and I, this year, we went back down to Winona Lake, and sometimes you just need to do it because it's good. And we walked down to Winona Lake Beach, and it's a lot different than it was when we were in college. And we walked down to the beach, the sun was setting, and we walked over to this chair, this lifeguard chair. And I helped her up. She climbed up, and I came up behind her, and I sat beside her, and I said, baby, this is where I said I love you for the first time. And I held my arm around her, and I said, you know what? I still do. I love you. You see, maybe for you, you just need to go back. Maybe you need to pull out a journal. Maybe you need to go back and remind yourself, listen, there was a time I was in that race. I was lacing them up, but something cut in on me. Something knocked me off the course. Something, I let something in. See, run the race with perseverance. Perseverance is a dogged determination to put the shoes back on and lace them back up. Maybe that's what you need to do in 2019. Get back in the race. You see, what's your win? So I prayed again this, Lord, what is it that lights my fire? God, what have you called? What's my race? And bam, the spirit brought to mind. Bam, bam. It was just amazing. Like, 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 Yesterday morning, I got up at 4 o'clock a.m. I enjoyed it, by the way. We met with men, a large group of men, and we were studying theology. 6 a.m. here at Grace. We're opening up the Bible and seeing what man was created and looking at refuting evolution. And, and I was sitting in my, my, my study home, and I was like, why? Because that's what God's called me to do. And after that meeting with men, I was inspired. I went back in my office and had another meeting with a couple. And I was in this meeting with a couple, and this couple came in. And, and, and I, I was looking at this guy that was there, this young man. They were talking about marriage. And, and I said, so t- tell me, has there ever been a time that you trusted in Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior? And when we talked some more. He said, I said, has anybody ever asked you that question? He said, no one. I said, no one has ever asked you if, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior? I said, no one. He said, no, sir. I said, would you want to trust? And he said, yes, sir. He prayed to receive Christ, and my fire was, that's what I've been called to do. You know what I've been called to do? I've been called to preach. I've been called to preach like Louis Giglio. I haven't been called to preach like Craig Rochelle. I haven't been called to preach like Andy Snake. I've been called to preach like Jim Brown. This is me. I'm not going, this, this is my race. This is my lane. And I'll lose five pounds today preaching. It happens every Sunday, but I make up for it for the Sunday lunch. But this is what I've been called to do. You know what else I've been called to do? I've been called to, to prepare my bride, my wife, Anne, to stand before Jesus as an unblemished bride. I work hard at that. I want her to hear from Jesus, well done, sis, well done. I've been called to be a father and, and love our kids and, and to pour into them and, and release them out into adulthood and give them the tools to stand on their feet. And I, and I'm, I remember just sitting with Johnny. We have a fantastic, God-fearing, God-loving son-in-law who treats our daughter beautifully. And he's, we prayed for him for 25 years. And I remember when I sat with him and we were in Starbucks and he wanted to, to ask permission for, to take Hannah and we're sitting there and, and he says, you know, he said, Jim, I just, I want your permission to, to marry your daughter. And I looked at him, I said, I said, Johnny, I want to let you know something. I said, I, I protected Hannah as best as I could. I said, I prayed for her and I provided for her. I loved her. I believe as much as a, a dad can love a daughter. And I said, I knew there would be a day that this day would, I would have to release her t- to someone out there. I said, I, told, I said, I've been praying for you for 25 years. And I said this to him. I said, it is a privilege to hand her off to you. And I said, you want to know one of the primary reasons? It's because we trust our daughter. We believe she would make a good choice. <laughs> and if Hannah believes that you're the man, guess what? We believe too. Listen to me. Know your win. You know what my win is? Hanging out with men. And watching marriages flourish and, and, and watching transform lives. Like, like I, I gotta be around men. Like you're listen to me. 
you might not like me sometimes because I'm going to challenge you and I'm going to ask you hard questions. I'm going to say, get back in the race. You used to be in the race. Lace them back up. You know why? Because if you cut me open, I believe this with all my heart, if you get the man, you get the family. You get the community, you get the world. Listen, I'm always going to be in the large group of men. You're not, I'm not bailing out. I'm going to be there. You know why? Because that's what makes my fire flame go hot. Watching men come alive and then families come alive. What did God create you for? Some of you got knocked off. I watched you. I know you. I, I, I used to see you. You used to be hot in that race, but something cuts you off. It's time to get back in and lace them up and be the person today that you want to become tomorrow. You see, who or what will define your worth? Ask yourself that question. If your answer is anything but Jesus, then you will be miserable in 2019. Be today the person you want to become tomorrow and get back in the race. Some of you have let hardships and difficulties stall your race. Listen, life is hard. And sometimes you got to have a gate. You're running to the end like this, but finish. Don't stop. And then, and only then, we'll be able to stand before our God and hear from him. Well done, thy faithful servant. Oh, God, help us. We're all in different places. Some of us got cut off. Some of us got blasted by a deer, and we used to be all in. We served, and we gave, and some of us are letting, comparing ourselves to other people, and some of us, man, we're just, we're hitting all eight cylinders. We're tuned in. Oh, God, help us. Help us to know that your name is greater than any name, and that that God, that we need to focus on you alone and we need to finish the race that we started. We need to run our race and not anyone else's race. May this be the year, Jesus, where we make you famous because we run in our lane. In Jesus' name, amen.